Welcome to the Real Wolf Record Club. My name is Joe. I am your host. And with me, as always, is the Real Wolf Record Club panel. Today, it's Ben and I, and we have got a wonderful, wonderful show for you today. We are talking about one of the seminal albums of the 1990s. The 1990s, y'all, which, for our younger listeners, was a time so unlike the present. It was so different. Uh, Women were free and equal, and they enjoyed complete bodily autonomy. (laughs) Sorry, I had to get topical. Fuck, I wish I were joking, kids. Anyways, the 90s. We're talking about an album out of the 90s, a decade of so much disillusionment that churned out so many great albums, uh, so many great records, and we're talking about one of those great records, a great indie pop record, debut record that went on to sell 200,000 copies in its first year alone, was certified gold. But as we've learned so many times on this show already, it's not just what the record sounds like that's important, but it's the context, the culture, the times it was released in, and what that artist is saying to us. This record has been called one of the great, fuck you, sorry mom, records of all time. A track-by-track response to Exile on Main Street, that great Stones album that is so emblematic of a male-dominated music scene. And it's a collection of songs that sadly sadly seems as relevant today as it did almost 30 years ago we are of course talking about liz fair's masterpiece exile in guyville and with us to break that down that record is someone whose voice is every bit as cutting and authentic as liz fair's was on exile in guyville guyville she was featured on season nine of last comic standing and has appeared multiple times on comedy central including most recently in her own special Hammouth. She recently released her second album, California King. Our guest is the very funny comedian, um, Amy Miller. Welcome to The Real Wolf Record Club, Amy Miller. Hello. Thank you for having me. That was so nice. And (laughs) I I laugh every time I hear the stupid name of my special that I chose myself. I got to tell you, it's I I like overthink it. I'm like ham mouth, ham mouth, ham mouth, hammoth. Hammoth. Uh, I don't know, but ham mouth. British. It's, <laughs> it's a hammoth. That's Going what we down have to hammoth. <laughs> what? So now you have. To, I mean, what's the what's the genesis of the name of that special? Oh, it's based on a joke. But I I picked a <laughs> bunch of other names that I. I mean, we all kind of do that. It's like you reference part of the material, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I picked a bunch of other names that Comedy Central said no to, <laughs> and then. And so I was like, oh, I don't know. And I was like a week behind telling them a name. And then I got COVID. This is early January. This is my one time getting it so mm-hmm. far. Um, and I was like in the middle of like a just a feverish haze. Like, <laughs> hopped up on NyQuil and whatever else I was taking. And I was just like, ham mouth. Just name it. <laughs> and they're like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, well. Go with it. <laughs> Um, so it is based on one of my jokes about mm. eating a charcuterie plate in bed. But <laughs> <laughs> that, well, I, what I want to know is, are you contractually able to tell us the rejected names by Comedy Central? Oh yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> well, I have a a joke where I say Reagan titties, and that just makes me laugh. Um, tried to call it Reagan titties. I tried to call it horny teen, um, based o- about a joke. <laughs> as me about me as a teen but i thought you know just for searchability online and like oh the seo isn't great on that no no it's really good because we're just trying to get clicks you know it's everybody needs clicks oh i love it and it makes me laugh thinking about like the kind of person who would 
A, go to YouTube to look for porn at all, and then just straight up Google horny teen, <laughs> and then finding this like 40 year old woman telling jokes is very funny to me. Oh, I love But they that. said no, so here we are, hand mouth, <laughs> but it makes me giggle every time. <laughs> well, so you, you mentioned Comedy Central, and you obviously, uh, one of your specials you recorded. Um, listeners, check it out. It's very, very funny. Um, but it, it's, it, it looks, at least from watching it, um, it looks like there was some strict COVID protocols um, in place during the recording of it, including a lesser known protection, uh, the no, no urination rule, apparently. Wasn't there, <laughs> there's like a couple in the front that like, we've been sitting here four hours drinking alcohol and we can't go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't even COVID related. It's so weird. It's just during tapings, they often don't let people wow. get up and go to the bathroom. But, but I'm like... Well, it's my special, right? And it's my show. And I just wanted to treat it like a regular show. Yeah. That was kind of the vibe that I was bringing across the board. Probably irresponsible, but I don't know. <laughs> I had a good time. So I'm like, yeah, if we were just in a comedy club, you could get up and go to the bathroom. Like, mm -hmm. obviously, you shouldn't talk or whatever, but I don't know. It was, uh, yeah, they were, <laughs> yeah, they were like, we've had four margaritas. <laughs> We're going to burst. Is I mean, that's got to be, whether it be, be you know, uh, impositions from the the company that's re, uh, recording it or covid protocols that is is that awkward to perform kind of under those conditions everything's kind of i mean amy miller had them fastened to their seats be, because they literally couldn't leave like is that kind of an awkward <laughs> dynamic it is strange and that's i think why i was kind of trying to change it because you know i mean you can tell this from comedy specials that you watch too where you'll like have this comedian that you love who's always like just slays and is so loose and then you watch their special and it seems almost like uh, neutered or mm -hmm. just stiff in some way and a lot of that is just the way that they're shot um and and you know part of it is logistical it's like if you have four different cameras in the back you can't have people walking all around mm -hmm. i get that that's what i didn't want because i have friends that i think are like some of the funniest stand-ups in the world that i you know have specials out that like they hate <laughs> and I'll, and i see why they hate them sure because they just like couldn't be themselves you know mm -hmm. um it, it is a weird uh environment for shooting a comedy special yeah i mean that's why they're always like in theaters you know it's Mm -hmm. um but that's not how comedy feels and then you know on no, a normal it, basis yeah and that's and that's kind of where i i was i was thinking too is like what for whatever the reason that that was it was such a funny way you handled it um but it, it's just so interesting to me that comedy as an art it's there's no stage production it's you you're everything and then to also know that the crowd i mean the whole goal they have they have openers and and features and all that to um you know people to warm up the the headliner and then you're also like, yeah, but these people have been told <laughs> their marching orders. Don't move. Sit still. You know, yeah. you can't do anything. Wear a mask. It's, I mean, and I'm not an anti-mask or anything like that, but some of that's got to be somewhat stifling to the practice, I would imagine. It is interesting. Yeah. Well, earlier in the pandemic, I did a special for Epics, which mm -hmm. no one's seen because nobody has Epics. Um, is it And Epics? we did that outside. I've been calling it Epics. It's epics. Epics. Got it. All right. Good to know. <laughs> okay. uh, but we did that outside and it was early enough that it was like outside and people were also masked. It was mm. like probably very ill-advised for us to do that at all. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but we did it. And yeah, that was that was weird. Um, so, you know, it's nice. We're kind of going back to sort of normal-ish conditions mm. for shooting this kind of stuff, which is nice. But 
Yeah. Well, I, I guess I would imagine uh, a silver lining in all this. Maybe, hopefully, you know, obviously we all want to get back to normal as, as soon as you can. But a silver lining might be the uh, ingenuity that comedians have been forced to adopt. You know, I'm thinking of the I've heard that Zoom shows in my mind as a fan of comedy. Uh, Zoom shows sound really awkward, but I've heard that they're actually kind of fun because you get to try out some material. You get to work on some stuff. You get to, have, you know, pop into other people's shows, that kind of thing. Has that been something you've you've done during the pandemic to kind of stay active with your craft? I did when I was quarantined, and then after that, I was like, okay, I get mm -hmm. it. Yes, that was nice to have, like, while we were in here, but um, now that we can do shows again, that's what I – then I started saying no to Zoom shows, unless they paid handsomely. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I did a few for my podcast, and we just tried to make them really fun and silly as possible and actually, like, interact with the Zoom crowd as much as we could, but – it was never close to the same thing. It was just like, yeah, a way to work out material and just see your friends and be like, okay, I'm not going fully insane. Yeah. That, that is the gutsiest thing I have uh, interact fully with a zoom crowd as somebody who works in an industry that is surviving on zoom right now. There's nothing scarier than when the camera is, is not showing and then it pops in and you're like, Oh hell no. What is happening? <laughs> with So, I mean, that's gotta be like people heckle comedians live, but not, not crazy because they're in person and they know they can get kicked out on zoom. How does, how does, is it better? Is it well, weird? Is it, I did have a heckling moment on a zoom show and it was a corporate because a lot of us did like make mm. money that way when we were quarantined. Um, you know, the people had these, company holiday parties and whatever we're going to the nice thing is i've done many corporates in real life and when i got heckled or it's always like the boss who thinks he's really fun oh. a funny guy he's like michael scott you know who tries to like interject <laughs> right. but on zoom you can just mute him so oh. i was just like shut this guy up and then i and then i see all of his employees just living for that moment because they're like <laughs> Yes. I'm like, I bet you guys wish you could do this in real meetings, huh? And then I just see them, like, take a sip of their drinks. Am I right? Um, <laughs> and he was the guy that was paying me, you know? But I was like, yeah. I don't care. I never have to see you again. Like, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, are you seeing, um, you know, are, are you, is that something you'll transition out of? You, you, know, you said you did corporate gigs before. Has the pandemic helped that become more of an option um, for comedians who are kind of getting back into the swing of things? I mean, I think it's always kind of been an option. Um, I mean, I, I was also someone who formerly did like marketing and events for like when I worked in corporate. Mm -hmm. And there's just a limited number of these sort of like team building, whatever activities people ever come up with. Like people just aren't that creative. So it's always that people think they that comedy is a good idea. A lot of the time it is not. But we're always comedians are always happy to take the money for it of course mm -hmm. i mean i wouldn't like do a gig for like monsanto or whatever but <laughs> right. you know is it's like a startup it's very uh cathartic for me because i used to work in that environment and now i'm just like insulting these people and they're like ha 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 ha, ha. then they have to give me a check well i get the check before i go on stage just in case i say anything <laughs> um. he didn't like what you did no <laughs> yeah um but i i gotta imagine prepping for that is I mean, do you have to go through like a mantra, like staring in the mirror, like, don't say this word, don't say <laughs> that joke, write out a brand new, like G rated script. Or is there, is there no, a different prep? No, I mean, I don't really do any of those gigs if they're like, it has to be explicitly clean, but that's funny. Cause that's something that a lot of people ask for and they truly don't want it. They're just like, they're trying to maintain corporate standards. 
which is funny because it's always like dirtbag CEOs anyway. Um, <laughs> and so they think like, oh, we want a clean comedian. But then you get there and then I just ask the employees like can i swear and they're like yes we Yay. love it <laughs> and you know it's like they just don't want to get themselves into some sort of hr situation but um but yeah of course they want you to be say adult things like they're at work that's the taboo of it um, oh, I... but if anyone says explicitly clean i'm like well i'm not really the comic for you oh that is i i, I had no concept that corporate work for a comedian was a thing only because if you've ever worked at a company like and you see a comedian and they tell a joke that you think is just the funniest thing ever and it's super inappropriate or out of bounds or whatever and then you look over and there's you know alice the receptionist or tom the accountant or tom the receptionist whatever like you're looking at it like okay they're looking at me like i'm a monster now and you gotta live yeah. with that <laughs> Like, yeah, well, my <laughs> my buddies who are super clean all the time make a ton of money mm -hmm. on corporate events because it's just there's no risk there, you know. So if you have like Brian Regan type act, mm -hmm. like, I mean, those guys make insane amounts of money. Yeah. You know, you can make 50 G's in a night, like depending on the company. Jim Gaffigan performed for the Pope or something. I mean, that's that's as clean yeah. as it gets. You got to keep that pretty clean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I would have some choice words for the Pope. Yeah, I, as I, I was at imagine there were a lot of people that would. Um, but, you know, go, kind of moving into that, uh, I'm going to tokenize you as the voice for all comedians here a little bit. But Please. is is there a topic? And this is something as a fan of comedy I've wondered for a long time. It seems to be there's been this pivot point in, in comedy in the last few years about you know, one side says, oh, you can joke about anything in the right circumstances. you got to make it funny. And the other side says, yeah, that's kind of punching down, though. Not everything's fodder for humor. Where do you fall on that? What's your take? Is there, you know, some people, will, you know, joke about dead children or the Holocaust or whatever in the right circumstances. Can it be funny? Should it be funny? That kind of thing. I'm wondering what your take is. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I talk about some pretty dark stuff, although I usually like um, coat it in peanut butter a little bit mm -hmm. um, or it's sort of a make it sort of a surprise. Sure. I'm trying. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, I think everything can be made funny by the right person with the right writing. The, the problem in this conversation a lot of time is that very unfunny comedians just say stuff without any real like structure or humor mm -hmm. and then they're like oh is that too much for you guys yeah. it's like no you're just not it's not funny you're not doing a good job i'm not mm -hmm. like offended that you're talking about abortion or rape or whatever it's right. like yeah these things are real um but yeah no i think I think that there is someone to make almost every single thing funny. Well, and I, I kind of think of it, you know, just from a fan's perspective as it's, you know, points on a map and you can get to a lot of places within the inner ring suburbs. But when you start putting these places way out in the sticks, the amount of work and effort that you're going to have to do to get to that place to it's funny up here. It's funny. It just seems like, why would you get there? Like, why would you put the work in to set up that joke? Unless, to your point, they've worked really hard and it's super clever and the payoff isn't child murder's funny. The payoff is that's a funny way to incorporate child murder into a joke. <laughs> like, yeah. And I just... think I think Jeselnik is probably like the master of a lot of that stuff because he explicitly tries to be like that is his style. He's like mm -hmm. and I think he even has maybe a drowning baby 
joke that's genius. Um, but that's his goal. He's like, oh, how can I take this? Like, really, a lot of the time it's a one-liner and sometimes it's a very long setup to get to this horrible place. And you're right, that is the goal, is not to be like, oh, this guy's a terrible person because he's actually quite wonderful. It's like, oh, he's a genius joke writer because right. he just took me on this journey. And I'm like somehow not mad that he's talking about drowning this baby because <laughs> he tricked me, you know, um, right. and I, I love that because it's just it's such amazing writing. Right. But um, but yeah, you have to ask yourself if it's worth it and also like what kind of comedian you are and mm -hmm. if they trust you, you know, because mm -hmm. you have to build up some trust with the crowd before you can just start talking about <laughs> For the fourth time in our podcast, a child murder. Or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll just ring the bell. Number of references for child murder uh, on this podcast. That's, that's why, why I switched it up. <laughs> that's Keep why it's binding. rated. E. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Well, uh, Amy, you've got a new record that just came out. Uh, California King, one that uh, Paste Magazine says, and I quote: "Proves she's a people person in every sense of the word." <laughs> You're so you're a comedian working in the dystopic <laughs> hellscape that is modern America. How does it feel to be called a people person? <laughs> I know it's troubling. <laughs> it's uh, it makes me want to stay inside. That's for sure. <laughs> are you are you? No, a people that's person? really nice. Um, I think I am. Yeah, I'm interested in people. Um, I think for whatever reason, people uh are drawn to me. But then also there's like a and I don't know why it's been true since I was a kid long before comedy, something I'm working out with my therapist, mm -hmm. because <laughs> when a lot of people are drawn to you, you have to be able to discern which of those people are good for you and which are going mm -hmm. to just drain and suck your energy and mm -hmm. take from you. But uh, it's always been kind of a polarizing thing. Like, I don't know, there's a handful of people that just like absolutely despise me and i know never know why but they just do and there's something i can do about it and like nothing happened they're just like nope not for me can't figure it out and that's mm -hmm. fine not you know not much i can do but um yeah i like i like being around people i just always have to recharge you mm -hmm. know with like a significant amount of alone silent time where i just sort of stare at my wall is it common do you think amongst the people that you work with and call friends that they do that and then they just need that time to cut off and be alone and be, you know they have such a public part of their life and then turn it off and be private yeah i think that's true for a lot of us um you know not the like uh, true true extroverts but i i find a lot of comedians fall on the other end of that spectrum although i don't know it's such an annoying conversation now of like who i'm an introvert i'm an extrovert it's like we're all exposed to way too much mm. at all times you know so who mm. knows but but it's also the process of like, it's not just being on stage, it's everything around it. Like by the time you get there, you've like dealt with, you know, airport security and a hotel front desk person and a Lyft driver who wants to talk to you for some reason. Mm -hmm. And then you talk to fans after the show and you're meeting all the staff. It's like, it is hyper social in that way. You know, you like get to a comedy club for the second time in your life you've ever worked there and you're like, Oh no, like I can't remember the name of every server who works here. Like I'm such a piece of shit, but I mean, we're just meeting so many people all the time that it's mm -hmm. um yeah, it's, it can be very overwhelming. In you mentioned Lyft drivers, uh are you there's there's a type of people and I unfortunately am one of them. Uh <laughs> It's like you, you get into the car and you're like, yeah, we're going to this place. 
And then 20 minutes later, you get out of the car and you're like, you know what? I, I'm sure it'll all work out, Johnny. I'm sure you'll get your house back and I'm sure your family won't disown you anymore. Good luck, buddy. Here's an extra $50. See you. Like, you become like best friends in the span because, and for me, it's mostly no, because I feel you're guilty. A freak. <laughs> no, you need to stop that. That's psychotic. <laughs> so you're not that. That's not you. <laughs> no, I do not want to talk at all. Interesting. Um, it's very rare. Occasionally, there will be someone who's just like funnier. I just click with and then I will talk on the ride. But I just again, I'm like recharging in that moment or because I've just spent all this time at the show, like, you know, really engaging with people who mm -hmm. showed up or seeing my friends or whatever. Then I'm taking that 15 minute ride to like catch up on my texts or whatever, which mm -hmm. I'm, maybe seems rude, but I don't know. I miss old school cabbie culture where it's just like, I mean, uh, the guy, those guys never had any desire to talk to you uh, when you're in New York. I mean, you take a yellow cab half the time. Those guys are on the phone, like yeah. with, you know, a family member or their wives or whatever. And like, mm -hmm. that's perfect because I'm also yeah. on the phone. So let's just not even look at each other <laughs> that agreed upon that agreed upon disinterest. Like, I don't care about you. You don't care about me. We have an agreement. You're just going to take me to my place and I will pay you and we won't harm each other. Done. Yeah, exactly. We won't harm each other. I'll tip well. It's not. Yeah, it's just, a, you know, early on Lyft as like when they were still doing the dumb like mustaches on the front of the car or whatever, they were encouraging their drivers to be like, where are you going? What's going on? Mm -hmm. What do you do for a living? And that was a fucking hellscape. I mean, I couldn't. It oh. was just such a bad idea. And what if the drivers don't want to do that, you know? Oh, yeah. God, I, you know, I'm wondering if you said dumb mustache because I currently am sporting a dumb mustache. Thank you for that shifting <laughs> no, it to no. lift. Um, that's I, I love that because I, you know, we come from a place. So many of us <laughs> extroverts, it's actually just guilt. Like I raised a Catholic kid in the Midwest, and so everything's. I don't want anyone to feel bad, so I'm going to talk to this yeah, dude who's telling me sense. some shit. <laughs> like some I stuff think it's I don't also a different about. vibe as a woman because so like so much of my life has been is like you know trying to remind myself that i don't owe like mm -hmm. men anything inherently and the number of times you get bothered throughout the day by like a dude trying to talk to you in your lifetime is like in you know uh, unimaginable and so it's just another one of those times where i'm like nope i don't feel bad this is an mm -hmm. exchange i'm paying i'm tipping yeah. i'm being friendly you know because i'll always do the initial like oh how's your day like you know i have great manners i just mm -hmm. don't you know once he starts asking questions i'm like nope i just don't oh this yeah. to you you right. know and that's yeah because you're not you don't have just probably people bothering you all day long every day of your entire life not in the way that you mean it <laughs> <laughs> definitely not in the way. I know exactly where you're going I mean, with you that. I mean, you have so. a child, so that's yeah, a different diff thing. Definitely but. different. Um, I, you know, we mentioned the the your album California King and, and what Pace Magazine said, and we kind of went off about being a people person. But, you know, do you find is it is it therapeutic being on stage? You know, as you if you some of the things you bring up because you do. T I ask because you talk a lot about your family life growing up and some of the things that you've turned you know into these these great. Uh, What's the right term? Is it a bit? Yeah. It's a bit? All right. You've turned yeah, into some bits, great jokes. jokes. Perfect. Um, <laughs> I want to use the appropriate term. They both term. work. Uh, you've turned them into these great bits. Uh, you mentioned, I mean, even just descriptions of like, you know, water and drought. You grew up in California. You always had a drought and <laughs> you were an awful person if you had a pool unless it was an above ground one with ducks in it like your family. <laughs> 
I love that. It's so funny. Uh, but is it is it therapeutic working out bits about your life or family on stage? I mean, maybe for you or for any comedian, or is that just like oh, the yeah, fans' totally dream? Oh yeah, totally is. Yeah, it definitely is. I don't know how much my family loves it. They're very supportive. But yeah, I mean, the laughter is literally validation. So to me, it's like if a lot of people laugh at this thing, it's like, oh, then you get where I'm coming from. It just mm -hmm. makes you feel kind of less alone, you know, um, and it's more palatable. Like if I was just saying that to someone over dinner, like on a first date or something like Oh, yeah, we just like swam in duck shit all the time. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to get a second date, but um, you turn it into a joke and then people are like, you know, they kind of make you feel like less freakish in a way. And that's really nice. Yeah. And I mean, you probably don't want to lead with we just had random dogs showing up at my house all the time. <laughs> <laughs> There's black dog. She's having babies tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Yeah, I know. Well, people are also um, in general very like squeamish about poverty, mm -hmm. I guess, um, even though like everyone in this country is poor, basically, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. in some way. But yeah, when you do it on stage, I still get occasionally in certain cities, like especially San Francisco, any place that's been like heavily gentrified by a lot of people rapidly who have money. Like they'll groan at certain things, like the pity groan. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, just laugh. It's fine. You didn't have to swim in the duck shit. It's okay. <laughs> like, it's, I'm not making you do this. I just need you to laugh at it. So I feel like better about it, you know? There's a joke you have on, I believe it's California King. I've listened to them all several times, but the, the newest, newest album where I believe you recorded that in, uh, was it San Francisco? Yeah, said the punchline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're at in San Francisco, the city you just mentioned, and there's the, one of the jokes is talking about um, a. I think the term is an unhoused person makes a comment to you about whether or not you should be eating an ice cream cone, and your your retort is, "Oh yeah, you're right. Maybe I should. I'm living in a house with all my food, like something to that vein." And and I, I did you when get... I say it, it's funny, but Super I know funny. where you're. Yeah. Super funny. <laughs> You're like, you're like, this is disgusting. This is somebody barfing up my joke. This is gross. But the 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 point to you know, I your point about some people are squeamish. Do you did you get backlash for that joke, or did people? How did people respond to that when you told it? I've had some weird responses. Um, one thing is like, as you kind of pointed out, is even just in the like couple years I've been telling that joke the terminology has changed and of course for the better and that's the thing is like I don't I always I say unhoused in my normal life I say homeless in the joke that's how I wrote it homeless is it much also, funnier it, yeah it it works better yeah just in the way I say it I don't know why um but it does and it also sort of starts off more heartless in that way um mm. Which I think that's, you know, I mean, that shit is funny to me. First of all, this really happened, except for the part where I had the fun retort. I mean, that's right. what, you know, comedy does yeah. is that you get to relive these moments where someone was really rude to you, except you actually um, have a response that's clever because you wrote it um, the next day. <laughs> But the rest of your joke is. But he is, did say that to me. <laughs> but I mean, the rest of your joke, you finish it off. And I again, not trying. Not trying to butcher it, but you, you say something to the effect, paraphrasing, obviously, that structures of power are really funny and fucked up, aren't they? Like They're complicated, yeah. yeah but it's like, and you started it. Yeah, that's what I say. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you started this roast, and then you weren't prepared for me to just have a better joke. Um, which, again, I didn't in real life at the time. But... <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I've gotten some pushback on that joke for sure, but it's just like, again, uh, you know, if I'm more, it's more of a statement on what we just talked about of like that thing where you're just trying to like be a woman out in the world mm -hmm. living and from all walks of life, people have feedback about yeah. your body and what you're supposed to be doing and whatever, just talking to you. It's like exhausting. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I mean, that joke's probably going into retirement very soon, so I don't have to worry about it anymore. But <laughs> I think there was one review I got, um, maybe it was in, no, it wasn't in the paste, in the paste review, maybe the vulture review, where the woman writing it was clearly like, took issue with that. And then mm. so she only gave me like an eight out of 10 instead of a 10 out of 10, which like, whatever. Really? Um, <laughs> I Come hate on. comedy reviewers, honestly. Yeah. They have no sense of humor. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, I'm not shitting on unhoused people, obviously. Right. You know, and I live in Los Angeles. It's like, uh, it's like half the know. city. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Well, and I, I think some of the one of the things too, is the feedback loop is so, so quick now too that, you know, you can tell a joke on one day. And depending, you know, maybe, maybe not, but somebody's telling somebody, whether it be instantly through some post or tweet or text or whatever, or the next day, somebody's going out and writing about it. Um, but on that note, you are very active on social media. Um, I've heard that in addition, you are a devoted fan of TikTok. <laughs> I love it. I ne I've never put anything up, but I just watch it. <laughs> what, 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 uh, do you like so much about TikTok and what do you watch? Um, my algorithm right now is mostly like people organizing their drawers. Um, it's a lot. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's a lot of cleaning TikTok and people who like buy random items from the dollar store and then turn them into some other thing like a piece of art or some other useful structure. Um, <laughs> A lot of cats, obviously, just doing crazy shit. Um, and the dance cults. I'm assuming you saw that clip of me talking about the dance cults. <laughs> really into that. A lot of religious weirdo people, fun pastors, you know, who like dance. Um, God, you are a like just living on the edge. <laughs> like, I'm going to watch this cult shit and I'm not going to fall into it. I'm just going to watch it. <laughs> well, it's so funny because I, you know, it, it gets like the algorithm does get to know you pretty fast based on like what you stop on. And um, and it's very telling because I'll tell like especially dude friends about this um, world of TikTok that I enjoy. And they're just like, I don't see any of that stuff. It's like all butts. You know, I just see butts and boobs. And I'm like, well, that's because that's what you're that's what's getting your attention. You know, yeah. But if I see someone just cleaning their fridge, I'm like, ooh, this is for me. There is there is a lot to I, I'm with you. I 100% understand that because there's also, you know, when you, there's a lot of different things online where things just put be put into order or making like power washing. There's power washing. Yes. Uh, oh, I got to get into that. <laughs> People just love disorder into order. And so I think yes. there's a lot to unpack there. Like organize that drawer yes look at how organized it is perfect oh, and all that shit or in the like garbage. people refurbishing um like old stuffed animals that have just been like loved to death and like restuffing them and cleaning their fur and and re repainting their eyeballs oh my god it's so touching you so did not disappoint and you said refurbishing <laughs> like oh yeah like one of those flip it shows on hgtv and she's like no no they take old ratty ass teddy bears and they clean them up and make them new those are, I'm like, yeah oh. 
It's really cool. And then miniatures, <laughs> a lot of miniatures. Just, miniatures? Um, yeah, full miniature kitchens where people cook like an entire like spaghetti and meatballs meal, but everything's tiny. <laughs> so is, are they, is, it, is it like, <laughs> at, well, let me understand this. Is it like a real kitchen that a human could stand in? It's just really small, or is it like little dolls? Well, they're and they're do oh no, the there's no dolls. Like the <laughs> the the chef is still the chef. Like they're just you know she's just using her hands. It's just so you little see her tiny fingers, frying like, pans. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. And they actually like stand up to heat, and they do the entire process of cooking this meal. But like with tweezers and tiny little tools. I have so that that is the opposite of the videos of organizing and cleaning for me. I just <laughs> hearing you describe it, I'm getting so much anxiety of like, but where would they stand? Like that wow. Well, they're not standing. They're giants in this oh kitchen. What do you mean? <laughs> they just set up a camera on their hands. I'll send it to you. They're oh. just yelling fee fi fo fum and they're yeah. cooking up oh. tiny little omelets. Yeah, that's uh, there's but it's some real food. It's crazy. There's one Indian guy I watch a lot who makes like traditional Indian meals, and it's it's just so insane. Like, oh, man, you guys. There it. are certain boundaries, you know, warning signs, just wherever you're like all of a sudden, like, yeah, I'm not gonna exit there. I don't know if that one is uh, for me. Uh, <laughs> Amy, tell me about your relationship with Johnny Knoxville. Uh, and I ask that because if you're a fan of Amy and you all should be, uh, when you check out her social media, she has some very, um, she talks about Johnny Knoxville every so often. Tell me about Delicious. your relationship. With <laughs> well, I think he's fucking hot and he's getting progressively hotter somehow. And I actually wasn't even really interested in him as a teenager. Like that was not my type. And maybe because I'm from California, I always had a little bit of an aversion to just like a like someone who seemed like a bro, like skater bro. Yeah. Um, but now, I mean, wow, he's just, I mean, he's so gorgeous and he's insane. He's an insane person. I just don't know how he got more attractive while breaking his body. I, but um, I, And I've heard he's really nice. I have friends who've worked with him and say he's just like the sweetest guy and but lot. I have to I have to ask though because one of one of the posts that I laugh so hard is you post a picture of Johnny Knoxville re very recently and you say um, Johnny Knoxville has turned into Jamie Lee Curtis and it's the <laughs> like yeah. I can't unsee that ever. Yeah, um, they so, both look so cool. <laughs> that, that's the full circle I needed. Is that I also yeah. think Jamie? I'll Lee sit Curtis. on both of their faces, honestly. <laughs> I'm sure that's the tweet that you're referencing. Oh, it is. I it is so funny because I saw. I it, do like, think it'd be a good jackass prank where I just yeah I just sit right down on his face and see how long he can stand it. Well, not stand it. It's like it's a gift to be able to do that. Hi, I'm Johnny Knoxville. Welcome to Jackass. <laughs> oh, that I is. I will suffocate him. Well, now is time for our favorite part of the interview. It's a time we do. Ched Talk. Amy Miller, are you ready for Ched Talk here on The Real Wolf Record Club? I think, I think I'm ready. I think you're ready, too. All right. First question here on Ched Talk. Uh, all stand-up comics eventually get their own sitcom. I think that's a rule of Hollywood. What, <laughs> yeah. what is the title and premise of your sitcom? Uh, it's me and Johnny Knoxville and... Um, <laughs> I do. I I just prank 
we're married and we don't have any kids because that seems like a bad idea. And <laughs> I just pr- I just prank him a lot all day long. Um, and we prank the neighbors. You know, oh. that'd be fun. I think that's a show people would want to see. I think so too. Uh, a working title. Uh, you can get back to us on that. <laughs> Oh, we call it like "Welcome to Knox Mill" or whatever. Oh, <laughs> that is—you thought about that? That was too quick. I You're didn't. like, "Yes, Knox Mill, <laughs> finally we're one." Oh, that's great. Welcome to Knox Mill. Uh, second question here on Ched Talk: Weird, weirder, or weirdest? You have to put these following three things in order of weird, weirder, and weirdest. Elon Musk's shower routine. Republican men talking about menstrual cycles or Crocs and socks? I'm going to go Republican men weird, uh, Elon Musk weirder, and Crocs and socks weirdest. <laughs> Although not so weird anymore. I don't know. Everyone's wearing Crocs and socks. That's what I'm saying. That is the, I, for There was a long time where crocs were not cool and socks and sandals and now i mean it used to be just like german guys and european tourists yeah. show up at so- socks and sandals and now everybody's doing it third question here on shed talk with amy miller uh who's the biggest inspiration to you in your career cat williams mm. <laughs> mm. i don't know what was inspiring about cat he's just so funny but he's a mess and it would be nice to be able to be a total fucking mess and still be respected but mm. That's not um No, <laughs> I I inspira- I'm allowed to do. <laughs> inspiration comes from any any source. I mean, it's not always like, oh well my so and so helped me learn it's it's just those things that you can point out. I think that's awesome that that's somebody who's just so talented and you know, you can also see the things that maybe have held them back or helped them move forward, depending on how you look at it. Um Yeah. Hmm. Next question here on Chad Talk. Exile in Guyville by Liz Fair has been called one of the great fuck you records of all time. What's the greatest fuck you you've ever been part of? I do talk about this on my special, so maybe lame to bring it up, but I think just every time since quarantine's ended that I um, willfully leave the house without a bra is just <laughs> the best times of my life. I don't know why I wasn't doing it before. I don't know why we have to wear those things. I'm not wearing one now. Um, it's just like I'm so done. I'm just so done. <laughs> I the way you 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 set that all up here was every time after this pandemic and I leave the house without wearing a damn. I thought you were gonna say mask and be like just roll with it. She's <laughs> like not not that kind of mask. <laughs> a tit mask. Oh, I love it. No, thank you. Uh, final question here on Chet Talk. Little Amy Miller read a John Updike novel where a man leaves his wife because he doesn't want to share his bathwater. <laughs> <laughs> Who is someone you'd willingly share bathwater with, not named Johnny Knoxville? Mm, Sam Rockwell. Oof, Sam Rockwell. He's also Rockwell. real small, so I think we could fit well together in there. But he's probably uh, grimy. Like, I think there's going to be a ring around the top. That's okay. <sighs> He's so hot, so weird looking. Great dancer. So he's naked in movies too, and like I really appreciate that. Oh, I you know I'm gonna check the numbers, but I think you've just broken Ched Talk here on the Real Wolf Record Club. (laughs) Amy Miller, that was Ched Talk here on the Real Wolf Record Club. We're gonna take a very very quick break and come back and discuss Exile in Guyville with our good friend Amy Miller. We will be back. This is the Real Wolf Record Club. 
Welcome back to the Real Wolf Record Club. We are here talking with our good friend comedian Amy Miller, and we are talking about a great, great album uh, from the '90s, Liz Fair's Exile in Guyville, and and this is something that it's it's going to be. I know Ben desperately wants to release the lost episode, but there is a recording of the first first meeting of the Real Wolf Record Club where we got together and we talked about randomly this album. We randomly picked it. We talked about it. Whoa, and it, weird. Yeah, it's full circle here. Uh, but it's it's one of those things where I it's if to me this was such an interesting experience to go through this album a second time. Um, I had always kind of known who Liz Fair was. I always knew um, a little bit that this this album was somewhere out in the ether. Um, I had never gotten super into it until that first time. And so for me, it was a little bit coming to this record almost as a second time to have listened to it once, I've processed it once, and I set it aside. And to come back to it and to think about it again all over was, was a lot of fun. Hannah, one of our panelists on the show, uh, not with us tonight, but she will tell you that this album has never left her brain since it got stuck there. I don't know, two years ago, she's just had it on repeat and just absolutely loves it for so many reasons. Um, so I'm curious, you know, starting as we always do with this album, we talk about favorite song, we talk about the highlights, the things that that draw us to it. This is a heavy album in the sense that, you know, it, you, you can read so much about it. And, and Liz has been very open about you can read all these great articles on Spin and Rolling Stone where she gives interviews track by track. What is this song about? What is she talking about? Um, what did it mean here? Um, it's been loosely called a track by track response to the Rolling Stones' exile on Main Street. And I think that thinking of it that way, at least for me, is really important because the Stones, I don't think she had any particular ire for them other than if you were to pick out who is emblematic of you know, dominating rock music. It's white guys in a band, you know, the Rolling Stones or whomever, and that is one of their huge albums. And so to think of it that this is her response as a female artist in a male-dominated world, for me, puts it in a really strong context, or puts it in a context that makes it hard for me to ignore this album um, as I as I might have before earlier. So um, we'll start kind of thinking about this album in the big picture, but we'll start with our favorite song on the record and i'm going to turn to you amy um what was your favorite song on this record and, and tell us a little bit about that oh well it was very hard to choose i guess i have to say divorce song because not only do i love the song but it's mm -hmm. it was my entry point into the album so i guess i have to give it that title but very uh close second to dance of the seven veils which i fucking mm. love um, but divorce song, because I didn't get into Liz Fair at the time that this happened. I mean, it, I was very young and also I was uh, very Christian and mm -hmm. certainly wasn't going to be listening to an album with fuck in a yeah. song title. I mean, right. come on. I wasn't <laughs> trying to go to hell. Right. Um, not that I wasn't, you know, listening to secular music, but I drew had to draw the line somewhere. Right. Um. But when I was probably 20, um, it was like 2000, 1920, and I was dating this dude that made me a lot of mixtapes, and he had excellent taste. And he put Divorce Song on this mixtape, and I just got so obsessed with it and then bought the album right away. And then um, it took on a new meaning when we did um, have a breakup, but then like had to drive back 
like six hours together oh. silently in the car. <laughs> just oh. like, oh, that's what this song is about. Oh, wow. Was like, this that travel it, it... tension, you know, when your relationship is on the rocks or you're fighting and it's like, oh, it's just, I mean, that song is so heartbreaking, but we've all been through those moments so many times where you're like, this is it. Like, I'm mm -hmm. fucking done with this person. And you get back home and get some sleep and have some food and you're like, oh, I don't know, I guess he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> was this was this the uh, person that you were in a relationship with that you talk about on um, your 2016 record? Probably not. I don't think I have any jokes about him. Okay. Um, I, I just like, remember that was kind of you You have that connection. You talk about that person on 2016, and then you talk about, I think, that person in California King, and then you move across the hall from each other. And Oh, yeah, that's all the, that's all the same boyfriend. I mean, he gotcha. still lives across the hall. He's That's Adam. He's my best friend. He loves that I write jokes about him. Oh. Um, but, no, this is a, a very early – this is a very yeah. young romance. I was in college. Um, but then – so he got me – into the album um and yeah so i think but that song i mean i still uh, with adam like on trips where we had you know that like travel fights and um mm -hmm. tension and just long silent car rides like i always think of this song it's just mm -hmm. so it's just so real and so heartbreaking just the shitty stuff you do like you know when she says like you know, she asked for a separate room and like, you know, she would take that back if she mm -hmm. could. It's like you do these little digs like these just gnarly things to be like, I'm winning this fight, you know, mm -hmm. and it's always so much more um, pointed when you're not at home. You know, it's like because at home, a lot of the time you kind of just have to make up. Mm -hmm. Right. You're like stuck in the same apartment together and you love each other and you have to be like, oh, we can't go to bed angry. That's the rule. Mm -hmm. But when you're in another state or something, a hotel, it's like there's just no end to the fight sometimes, you know? Right. And yeah, I just I just think it's such a good song. The lyrics are incredible. And you hit on it a little bit. You know, it's the ultimate, dis you know, vulnerable discussion. I mean, literally, you go through the world and you, you, you know, you take shelter in apartments and houses and you live with others and you work so that you can store up food and you do all these things. And then divorce is literally ripping that all apart and to your point you're out on the road with the only person in a world full of strangers you're doing whatever you're doing traveling vacationing whatever and then that person is no longer an ally that is mm -hmm. a vulnerable moment and to have a song kind of encapsulate that you know like you said it's something you think of when you're out in that pretty vulnerable moment it's that that to me is what whatever someone might think of this album you know if you can pull out a song on any album and say this encapsulates a human experience that so many of us have to me that's that art part of it evokes a response and whether you like it or not that response is really telling about what that art is and what it means and yeah amen on that that's such a powerful powerful part of this album is the is divorce song um, yeah and it has kind of a happy ending too i mean it is like you know ultimately she's like you know take a deep breath and count back from 10 and maybe it'll be maybe it'll be all right and it's like yeah that's because if you're not ready to leave someone and you can see out of it and know, like, this is just a fight. This is not forever. We're both going mm -hmm. through some stuff. Um, and it does just take that a lot of the time, like literally just deep breathing and mm -hmm. like eat some food. And like, yeah. it's fine, you know? Yeah. And she's I think part of her delivery. What's interesting, too, though, is she's got that 
trademark kind of monotone delivery through a lot of these songs. And I, I love the hopeful take on it and I'm hopeful too, but I also read it as a little bit of like, yeah, maybe we'll be all right. <laughs> maybe yeah, not. Yeah, it's so know? funny when you, cause I've seen her do this live and I've seen like a lot of live just um, videos of it on YouTube. And I'm like, she just intentionally, she does have a big range, but she also wrote this song at the absolute bottom of her range in mm -hmm. in the verses mm -hmm. and when she does it live like it's hard for her to sing and it yeah. is that it's it lends like it just accentuates the desperation yeah. you know and the exhaustion it's like you can almost feel it in her voice she didn't have to do that she could have put it in a more comfortable range for her yeah but um it's like physically hard for her to sing and it and it feels like oh yeah that is what you would feel like after just yeah. you know, hours of traveling with someone and fighting like just like you can't i just can't do it anymore i can't do <laughs> like, it this is as much as i can give you right now yeah, yeah and i love like but the I, song version of a groan yeah well and i and that's that's part of it too though i mean some of the songs they talk about intentionally leaving out a bass so that it's just her voice and a piano or her voice drums and a guitar and it's that to me it goes back again to that this is literally how much energy I have at this point in this song as I can sing at this level. Or this is literally as sparse and as vulnerable as it may feel to be a female artist in a male-dominated rock scene in the early 90s is pretty vulnerable. There's not a lot of meat to this because that's the experience. Ben, your favorite track on this uh, record? Well, I love that we just talked about Divorce Song because that was my 1B. <laughs> So I, now I get to talk about 1B and 1A. Oh, Ben's list Good. comes again. Yeah. Yes. No, but it, it, I, it was my 1B, and I loved. I do like that song a lot. And to your point, it has my favorite line in it. And I think the lyrical content, as Amy mentioned, is is great. And, and the license said that you had to stick around until I was dead. But if you're tired of looking at my face, I guess I already am. Oof. Like, what a, what a great turn of phrase so there. So sad, yeah. Like, super sad and like, man we're married and you know till death do us part but i'm already dead to you like oh. that's that's for me i that I, I didn't take that as a very hopeful song at the end it was kind of like i'm gonna count to 10 before i walk away type of thing yeah. uh because it's not worth the the effort of of being mad anymore because somebody doesn't love me mm -hmm. uh but i i like the fact that this song really kind of got close to building up a really good tempo and it was one, one of kind of the more up i don't want to say it's upbeat because it's it's very much a, a uh, contrast you know it's 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 more of a uh upbeat song with a downbeat <laughs> message i guess mm -hmm. but my favorite song remains as joe mentioned we we've we've looked at this album it's sat on the shelf a little bit now we're going back into it um with fresh eyes i still like the song glory track number three and mm -hmm. it's a it's a total contradiction to my thoughts on this album where i would have liked it to be a little bit faster and punchier just to kind of cater to my music taste and this is uh, one of the slowest like quietest songs on the album but i just i think it's beautiful and if anything i think it's too short i'd love to hear more of it uh because i think it really fits her vocal maybe amy to your point that uh you know she's at the bottom of her register in in some of these songs uh especially divorce song i felt like glory was right in the pocket and uh, it, she does have a beautiful voice, and it, it really shined through on that song. So I, that's why I love it. Mm. 
Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. And when you peel back, some, you know, an album, it's really tempting to look at. Okay, what are the hits? What are the most plays? Especially in a streaming world, this wasn't this was out before streaming, so you had to buy the album and listen to the whole darn thing. Um, but you could look at some of the highlights. You could look at how many times it played. What's a great single? What do they play live a lot? Um, but when you really start to peel back, it's not just about lyrics. It's not just about what's happening in any individual song. And you start to consider oh, I get it. She's singing this way. And that is really evocative of what she's talking about, being exhausted, like on Divorce Song. Or, you know, to your point, Ben, Glory is a stripped down song that we've talked about vulnerability a little bit, and that peels it away. And that's just her as the artist putting it out there. Not unlike a comedian. (laughs) Hey, look what we did there. Um, (laughs) uh, But I just, I love that part. And I I don't know that it's completely unique. uh, It'd be a disservice to a lot of great artists out there to say, completely unique to Liz Fair to just say that she has been able to do this in that way. But I think that's something about great music is that it can really, it can make you feel a certain way in a lot of different ways, if that makes sense. The things that they talk about, the way they write that song, why they made certain choices to leave things out or add things in. For me, my, my, my favorite song was tough on this one. And it was tough because for me, the grooviest song, the song that I just I, I just think is so good, it's so powerful, I, I can't get enough of it. Um, it's the song I come back to all the time is Mesmerizing. And it's got, it's just such a cool, pissed off kind of funky song. And I read, you know, Brad Wood, the producer, was going to, she wanted to add something more towards the end and make it heavier and rockier. And Brad Wood said, I think you should peel back and let that kind of slinky guitar that she plays at the end just play out. And that's the song that I I love the most. But for me, and I'm sorry, I got to get a little heavy here. Um, For me, the song that is putting its hooks in my brain, um, we mentioned before we were recording, I was telling Amy that... um, we have a lovely little daughter upstairs who's uh, not feeling the best lately. And so uh, I think a lot about her now that, that I have a child, um, especially uh, uh, a little girl. And the song Canary is something that keeps it keeps coming back to me. And I, I referenced at the outset of the episode, the 90s were a time where, uh, unfortunately, it's looking like uh, women had more rights than, than they may now today. And, and that, as a parent of a daughter... I can't help feeling like that, you know, the questions I ask myself when I listen to Canary now with all that's going on in the world is what would it mean to be a bird in that cage? How much hasn't changed? And how can I prevent that from happening? A little bit of a selfish take, given that there are people actually suffering this, but but I, I hear that song and I just can't think of, I can't get past how I would ignore this song when you've got people very close to you that may live that result. And so for me, the most powerful song, and I'm going to give it my best, my favorite on the album is Canary. I just, I'm a sucker for piano, and I think that song is just so, so powerful. Let's turn to our favorite moment. Our favorite moment's a little bit different. Favorite moment is, it can be a timestamp. It can, in streaming, it makes it a lot easier to do that. It can be a favorite ending, a favorite chorus, a favorite part. But I'm curious to know, Amy, what is your favorite moment on the record? Well, I think something that's always stuck with me and just because I'm a romantic, you know, I just love the letters and soda. That song is like for everyone who's had a slut phase. Um, (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's fun. And then you have these other moments where you're like, well, I kind of want this old fashioned love again. And like, is it really Mm -hmm. out there? And like, 
you know, can someone like take me on a goddamn date? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, and it's always that like Liz Fair is really good at describing that conflict when you are like, a, you know, fully realized like feminist woman who's like, you know, I don't, I, I can, I can be slutty. I can sleep with as many people as I want. I can ask for what I want sexually and that is all good. And that's my right. And like, um, I don't feel shame about that, but then that flip side where you're like, but I also kind of do just like, <laughs> you know, yeah. want some letters and soda. Yeah. Um, and it's very honest and real. And, and that's, you know, I mean, those are the layers of being a fucking woman in this, like, mm-hmm. in this horrible place where we live. Um, right. and a lot of people don't want to often identify both of those sides at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because they feel like it's, you know, like wanting romance is like traditional, you know, and it's like, you know, part of the heteronormative, like misogynist mm-hmm. structure that we're used to. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, well, don't, you know, don't imply in any way that like, you know, the slut phase makes you feel bad because then it takes away from the empowerment. And it's like, no, you can feel both because guess what? Women have layers. Yeah. Um, we are more than one thing at one time. And so, yeah, I, I just love that cute little just, um, yeah, just like have soda with somebody. It's just, so, it always sticks with me. With, uh, ben, what was your favorite moment on the record? There's a lot to pick from, a lot of stuff to unpack. But um, if you had to pick one, what was it? Yeah, it's Soap Star Joe, a song about you, obviously. Um, I I hope not. That was my number three. (laughs) Yeah, so that song contains my favorite moment. And I I admittedly, first listen on this this album was like, eh, I don't know how much I like this album. And it's it's grown on me. And, And a lot of the songs have really grown on me. Especially this one. And this is also, sorry, this is also a song that like kicks off like at its max you know what i mean mm-hmm. like you just get right into it there's no like real lead up you're just in it and it's mm-hmm. so fun yes and i was waiting for more of a build so when i was initially listening to the song i was waiting for more of a build and i thought at the end like here comes the guitar like here comes the drums like it's gonna happen and then i felt really let down when it was like it just kind of planed out now that i listen to it more and i've listened to the song more and more and more i like it more and more and more and i think it's because of this like subversion of expectations so you're thinking that's going to happen and then all of a sudden instead of a guitar solo you get a harmonica solo Mm -hmm. and listening to that now again and again it just blows my mind and i'm i'm beginning to i think understand why people like this album so much is because of those type of little little things where you're going into it and you think, oh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Wait, harmonica? Like, it's a harmonica <laughs> solo that sounds like a guitar solo? Mm-hmm. That's genius. It's brilliant. And I didn't appreciate that right away, and I do now. And that's my favorite moment. when Because mm. I can now, now go back and point to that and say, this is like a, a very distinct moment of like subversion of expectations where it's taking you to a different experience than you thought it would. Mm-hmm. That's and I, I uh, both of you are so annoying for having such good answers because mine is <laughs> mine is so dumb. I already told you what it is. It's in it's the guitar part in the end of mesmerizing. And I think for me, I I 
I tend to overthink as an anxiety sufferer in the world. I tend to overthink about everything. And <laughs> I'm always like, oh, but this is deeper. Let's peel it back. I said peel it back like 10 times. Um, <laughs> let's look <laughs> deeper and find the meaning and all that. The onion and, man. Right. And really, some of the shit on here is just fucking like just it's got such a cool vibe to it uh it's one of our favorite words here on the real wolf record club it's a great vibe to it and i you know there's there's something about we can peel back and find the deepness because it's all there and for me it was just so cool to get to the will probably be the end of of side it'd be the side two of record one or maybe the start of side three if this were like a quadruple album being an 18 minute 18 tracks uh album um get to the end of that and you've got this just cool funky element at the end of that song mesmerizing there's a song you know never said most of that song is very repetitive and it's just reminds me of what 1993 and 94 was it's so 90s and i love every second of it so it was hard for me to choose but at the end of the day it just came back to good old what do i like to tap my foot to and, and mesmerizing was it for sure I think now uh, we've got a, uh, a little bit left to go here, but now we turn to our favorite, one of our favorite segments. It's not our favorite. It's not my favorite. It's Ben's favorite. Our favorite it's segment. Everybody's favorite. Everybody's favorite. The listeners have spoken here on the Real Wolf Record Club. Our friend Ben likes to put things on a playlist. So, Ben, Liz Fair, Exile, and Guyville, put it on a playlist. Use your words. Yes. <laughs> this playlist is called Round of Applause. And no, it's not because we're at an Amy Miller show. It's oh. because we are listening to Liz Fair's Mesmerizing, mm. which, in addition to the tasty groove that Joe mentioned, has a nice little bit of hand clapping in the middle. I do so if you really claps. listen, and I, I, I will say that I had trouble hearing the hand clapping when I was listening to this in the car. So put on some headphones, take a listen. You're going to hear some nice hand claps. So that inspired another playlist that dives deep into my scrambled egg brain. And I'm going to pull out some of the highlights of that playlist. The first and most obvious hand clapping song by The Meters. Our guest Eric Foss described The Meters. This is back in the Sam Cooke episode for all of you listeners. He described The Meters as both tight and loose. Mm. Which I which I would use to describe Amy's comedy central or excuse me Amy's uh, comedy <laughs> album because <laughs> he had great jokes so much, but it oh. also had it had no I'm this in all seriousness, it also had a very loose feel like you were doing a lot of clout, crowd interaction and you don't usually get that on a comedy album so I really appreciated that so thank you, you built in a very like live experience it was like a live album whereas sometimes comedy albums just feel like comedy albums. Like you mm, get a studio you. album for comedy, but anyways, I really what I just heard you say is Amy Miller uh, should tour with the Meters. That's what I heard you say. Perfect pairing. Man. <laughs> They're probably like ninety or something. Anyways, <laughs> what Carry, else do we have? On, what on. else do we have on this playlist? Well, I've got clowns to the left of me. I've got jokers to the right. Listeners, <laughs> you can figure out who's who, but I am definitely stuck in the middle with you. With Steeler's Wheel, which also has some great hand clapping. Mm. Here's another Easter egg for our listeners. We've mentioned before my daughter, my five-year-old daughter's affinity for Florence and the Machine. 
So I could not make this playlist without Dog Days Are Over, which Ooh. also features mm. some fantastic clapping. We're going to do one more. Two more. We're going to do two more. Because we've got another <laughs> As always, very on, literal. On bated breath. <laughs> yes, on bated breath. Everyone is waiting. We're going to do another very literal song here, which is Hand Clap by Fitz and the Tantrums. Also happens to be a very good song. And finally, I just have to plug this one because it's an eight and a half minute song. It's taken up a lot of playlist space, but it comes off of one of my favorite albums of all time. And that's LCD Sound System's Sound of Silver. It's the song Us Versus Them. Also features some great hand clapping. So check that one out for sure, as well as Amy's album to get that tight and loose feel. That's your Put It On A Playlist. Thank you. People mm. clap on my album too, just for the record. Amen. Amen. Round of applause. There's lots of hand clapping. Zingy's very funny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you can check out all of Ben's playlists. Uh, uh, put it on a playlist on our website, realwolfrecordclub.com. While you're there, you can find out about upcoming episodes, past episodes, links to guests, links to uh, soon to be some charity stuff. Uh, you can also buy merch. I feel so cool saying that. You can buy merch. Click the merch tab. It takes us to our good friend Ward Sutton's website. He designed the great Real Wolf Record Club art that you see on our website and social on social at Twitter, on Twitter at Real Wolf RC, on Instagram at Real Wolf Record Club. And I think that brings us to the end. We're right at the end here with our, our discussion uh, of Liz Fair's Exile in Guyville, Guyville with our good friend Amy Miller. Uh, this is the part where we try to give you, you know, we've talked about some of the peaks, some of the valleys, some of the things we like on this record. We try to give you a little bit of a feel because we're a capitalist society. You must know, should I buy this or not? But we're a little bit more than just two binary choices. We give you kind of a flavor for it. We're all record collectors here. Uh, and in the record world, you need to, there's albums that you need to own. There's albums that you need, you don't need to own. And there are albums that you need to own again and again and again. So our scale for ranking the album is bury it, borrow it, buy it, or buy it again. Because if you need to buy it again, it means you've worn the first one out. One to stock, one to rock. So... Let's do it. Let's give a ranking to Liz Fair's Exile in Guyville. Uh, Amy, I'm going to give you the first word here. What do you rank this album? Oh, I think you know where I stand, but definitely buy it again. Mm. Buy it again, buy it again. Stream it. Watch watch it on YouTube. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm 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 there too. It's I would also say Hannah is was very clear in my ear. She said that this album is just brain takeover that's another phrase we talk about you get music you you get comedians and jokes i really do you get things that are just lodged in your brain and you need to keep listening to it um it's it's on brain takeover for her um i'm definitely i, I don't remember what i would have said earlier but i tend to be a bit high on everything because i just i, I love thinking about the art and the craft of of music um, comedy too uh but i look at this one and for me I probably, I probably can't say not buy it again. I just don't think I could. I don't think I could get there. I think this is something that it will continue to grow. So I, I think I'm going to buy it again as well. I know Hannah is. Ben, you get the last word here. What is your ranking of this album? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow it from you, Joe. You're going to buy it again. You're going to have two copies. <laughs> I'm going to call it instead ass. of... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to call it one to wear and one to share for you, Joe. Ooh. 
So uh, uh, yeah, you can you can buy two copies. I'll borrow one for a, for a long term uh, set of time. But it, this one to me, I have it's a it's an exercise in contrast for me. There's some songs on this album that I really like, and I've I've gotten to like a lot more as I listen to this album more. And th- there's some really great songs for me, and there's some songs that I just really don't like. And I think part of it is I struggle to identify with some of it. It's a it's a great album about a woman's experience, and I am not a woman, and I find myself struggling to kind of like get into that headspace and understand that. I feel kind of like have this little bit of imposter syndrome where I'm trying to understand it, but I don't really know how it feels. And so I'm not pretending that I can identify with all of it. But there is some great art, and the more that I've learned about this album through this record club discussion, uh, I would say, the more I've, I've begun to appreciate it and understand more. So it's something that is on a, very much on a trajectory towards buy it, and I probably will get there where I'm at, like a buy it again as well. <laughs> and I'll end up having two copies, one for me and one that I give to my daughter or something like that. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. I mean, throughout this whole process with all of our listeners, we always encourage everyone you bring you bring your own views you bring your own you know we call them sometimes biases whether they be musical biases or whatever but you bring something to the art and the art brings something to you and what you take away from it it's a super personal thing so when we give it a ranking you're going to hear this album and i hope you know we're hearing from listeners all the time that people are saying hey i checked out that comedian that you had on the show and i absolutely love her stuff thank you for doing that or i checked out that record because of what that comedian said about it and i love the album and now I'm, you know those types of things happen because that's that's really where this came from this whole experience the pandemic pastime we were all you know we've talked with amy miller about what it's like to be quarantined at home and sitting and doing nothing hoping the world gets back to normal and, and so we started this little club with the goal that you would start to experience new things and start to think differently and start to take in some of those experiences that might not be yours to own, might not be yours to begin with, but you might learn to appreciate. And and that's what I love about this process here on the Real Wolf Record Club. Uh, with that, Amy Miller, you're going to be touring this year. Uh, where can people buy your albums? you got several of them now. Uh, where can people check oh, you yeah. out? Oh, um, yeah. I think the easiest, best thing is probably Bandcamp. Um, and especially check on Fridays because Bandcamp Friday, you can kind of name your own price. Hmm. Um, but I also have vinyl. I have turquoise vinyl. Um, and if Love you it. go to blondemedicine.com, that's my label. You can get a vinyl CD if you can still do that, if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and all the streaming links and everything. So, yeah. And then come see me. I'm out there. Love that. Uh, and please do, listeners, please check out uh, Amy Miller, amymillercomedy.com. I, I'm telling you, just it's it's a little bit of joy when you read uh, some of her social media posts. It's a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> very, very talented comedian. We're so happy you've joined us here on The Real Wolf Record Club. Can't wait to get out into the real world again and see you and definitely check out her albums wherever you can support great art, wherever it exists. And that is it here on the Real Wolf Record Club. Uh, we've had a great discussion. We've given you our ranking here on uh, Exile on Guyville by Liz Fair. Again, check us out at realwolfrecordclub.com. Thank you all for joining us. This is the Real Wolf Record Club. This has been the Real Wolf Record Club podcast. The Real Wolf Record Club is a production of Real Wolf Productions, LLC, a limited liability company. The show is produced today by Ben Head. 
Our panelists were Ryan McKinnis, Hannah Vantomi, and I'm your host, Joe Vantomi. Follow us and join the club on Instagram at Real Wolf Record Club. On Twitter at Real Wolf RC. Go to our website to find links to the episodes, upcoming news and information, as well as a link to buy merch from our very own Ward Sutton at www.realwolfrecordclub.com. Join us next episode when we discuss the iconic 1999 album Things Fall Apart by The Roots. It's outside.